this Sunday we are getting to one of the most exciting chapters in the Bible. If the Bible uh, had uh, if the Bible had montage scenes, this would be it. You know what a montage scene is, right? A montage scene is that scene in a movie where they cover a lot of time during one song. Uh, the worst montage scenes are when there's like a road trip and they're going to drive across America. And in the time that they are able to play Peaceful, Easy Feeling by the Eagles, you know, they're all the way there. I remember, like, thinking, that's, road trips look so awesome on movies, you know. And then I get in my car and put on Peaceful, Easy Feeling, and I'm not out of Tulsa by the time the song's over. I got 12 more hours. But, uh, you know, and, and lots of things happen. Sometimes, I, I guess the greatest montage is the first 15 minutes of the movie up. Uh, it tells an entire beautiful love story encourage you to see it, actually. Uh, but this sequence, these few verses from chapter 12 of Revelation cover the entire Old Testament. But they cover the entire Old Testament in a fascinating way if the Old Testament were a comic book. It's one story. You see, the Old Testament begins with Adam and Eve, and Eve submits to temptation, and she sins, and Adam sins, and she is tempted to sin by a serpent. Now, almost every time you'll see this depicted in art, you'll see like a snake hanging from a tree. What's wrong with that picture? Well, if you've read Genesis 3, you know that the snake, the serpent, was the most glorious animal in the garden. He only slithered on the ground after sin, when God condemned him, when God cursed him and said, you're going to slither on the ground from here on out. But at that point, he had feet, evidently. He was glorious. He may have been a T-Rex. Might have been. Artistically, he probably looked like a dragon. And that's how John describes him in Revelation. And Jesus says to Eve, your seed will have enmity between you and the serpent, and your seed will crush his head, and the serpent will bruise his heel. Thus starting the story of the Old Testament. The entirety of the Old Testament could be summarized as the, the serpent's effort, his campaign, his mission to stop the seed of Eve from being born. There's two interesting things about that. Paul brings out one. He doesn't say, and your seeds. It wasn't all of the children of Eve. It was the one, singular, the seed. Satan is trying to stop the seed from being born. The other interesting thing is that women don't have seed. But in their, in the, the mysteries of, of Revelation, we see God making a small prophecy, a pseudo-prophecy, some will call it, that this seed would come just from Mary without the help of a, of a man. The virgin birth even hinted at. And so Satan is trying to stop this seed from being born, but he can't. And as we go over this story today, we're going to look at the the entirety of that story, obviously with some glaring omissions, but I want to ask you this question. Do you still believe, have you ever believed, that God is big enough 
to protect his people. Do you believe that God is big enough to redeem your worst day? And the message of this text is, if God is concerned enough, if he is kind enough, if he is strong enough to protect this baby from the absolute unrelenting forces of evil, then he is big enough to protect you and redeem you from your very worst fears. Please stand as we read Revelation chapter 12. We're only going to read verses 1 through 8. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, and he cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. But she gave birth to the male child, the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass. And all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall. But not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. We see here the woman. The, the archetypal woman. Eve and all of her daughters. The church. Israel. The, 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 the source of salvation. The, the mother that will give birth to the Savior. And we see the dragon, Satan, evil, with, with all power. All the, the horns represent power. All the heads, he's, 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 he keeps coming, he's perfect. He, he's never defeated permanently throughout history. He's always there until, until God finally defeats him and casts him down. He's got all power, he's got all um, all the uh, authority of kings. And he's there to consume the church. He's there to consume the chosen one, the seed of Eve. He's waiting upon her. And we see that. You can, you can read the Old Testament very much with that theme in mind, with that story in mind. It's, we see it starting out with Sarah and Abraham. And, and God comes to Abraham and he promises him, through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. From you is going to come this seed. And, and Abraham waits and he waits for decades and decades. And God says, no, through Sarah. In the first ploy Satan attempts is barrenness. It's going to come through Sarah. Okay, then Sarah's not going to have a baby. And her trial happens every month, right? Waiting. 
and waiting and dealing with the, the barrenness for decades and then it stops coming all together and the waiting and she, and she does not have the faith to believe that she can have a child and Abraham does not have the faith to believe that they're going to have a child and they even try to cut corners and and use her maid to produce the child but but God says, no, it's going to come through Sarah. And Abraham says, but Sarah's 90. And God gives them a child. He visits them. And I think he trolls Satan a little bit. He names the child laughter. As if to say, really? You thought barrenness was going to stop me? You don't think I'm bigger than that? Satan hates to be laughed at. Martin Luther said it was the best way to fight him. Psalm chapter 2 talks about God sitting in heaven and laughing at all the plans of men to overthrow God. So let's just name this child laughter. You're not going to win. And Satan retreats for a couple of generations, then he comes back. And God prophesies that the, the chosen one is going to come through Judah. So Satan attacks Judah. He didn't attack Judah himself. He attacks Judah's daughter-in-law. Judah only has three sons. I got you now, God. You got three sons. You're going to have a hard time. And so the first son, the oldest, Ur, he takes a wife named Tamar. We don't know much about Ur. All we know is that he was evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God killed him. Ended his life. And so Tamar, as was the tradition, because... Uh, women were bereft in that culture, unable to own land, unable to do anything to, to, but to live, uh, depend upon men. Uh, Tamar was given to uh, Ur's brother Onan. And uh, to, to give her, his job was to give her a son who would take care of her in her old age. And Onan refused to do that. And I'll let you read the text for yourself. But he was willing to take pleasure in Tamar, but he wasn't willing to give her a son. He was willing to use her. Some would say abuse her. All would say abuse her. But not willing to give her a child. And so God took out his wrath on Onan. And Judah, instead of be, taking responsibility and put it in placing responsibility where it deserved, blamed Tamar for the death of his first two children. And so Tamar is left waiting upon uh, another, someone else to come and redeem her. And, and she is so, you know, if you've ever dealt with people who've been abused in this kind of way, you know it, it affects you and it makes you have a very low view of yourself and it makes you willing to do ugly things. And so she was willing to dress up as a prostitute and seduce her father-in-law. She got pregnant. And Judah actually ends up justifying Tamar and saying, well, she did the right thing. She was more righteous than me. And, Jesus, and, and, say, and God again looks at Satan and says, you can't beat me. I can turn even the ugliness of that to my aim. And Satan withdraws for another few generations. And then the nation of Israel is taken into Egypt. And in Egypt, 
Pharaoh is, it begins to be concerned because the nation of Israel, this family, they just are having children at such a fast rate, and, he, and he's going to destroy them. And Satan comes into Pharaoh and says, I tell you what, why don't you just destroy all the men? We'll stop this seed from being born like that. So have all the, the, uh, the midwives, sorry, have all the midwives, if, if a male child is born, cast them into the Nile River. If a female child is born, well, we know what to do with women slaves. But if the males are born, cast them into the river. This unrelenting evil and hatred. And a woman has a male child. And she actually does what Pharaoh tells her. She puts him in the river. But before she puts him in the river, she, creates, she builds a basket, an ark, covers it with pitch and tar, and places her child in the reeds, and sends her daughter to watch the child. Is he going to be okay? And Pharaoh's own daughter sees the child and sees that he's beautiful. And his own, da- his own daughter looks and finds a Hebrew girl, right? She doesn't know it's Moses' sister. Can you find me a nurse to, to take care of this child until he's old enough to be weaned? I think I know just the woman. Goes and gets Moses' own mother. And Moses is safe. And not only is he not destroyed by Pharaoh, he is raised in Pharaoh's own household. And within that household, he is educated and he is trained to be the leader of Israel who redeemed the entire nation. I don't want you to miss the irony of that. You want, you want to throw these babies into the river? All right, we'll put them in the river. Pharaoh himself is the enemy. How about if Pharaoh trains him up? And God looks at Satan and says, you can't beat me. And Satan withdraws. And he's watching this line of Judah. And he narrows in on this line of Judah. And he comes at a woman named Naomi. Naomi was just living in Bethlehem. Married. And Satan sends a famine. A famine so great that Naomi and her husband are, are, are worried that they're going to starve if they don't get out of the land. And so they go to Moab. They go, they go to a, a land of, of unbelievers. And, and they live there. And while she is there, her two sons marry Moabites and named uh, Ruth and Orpah. And then Satan begins to take away everything Naomi has, right? She takes away her husband. And then her two sons. And she's left bereft and, bereft and overwhelmed with grief. And she looks at her daughters and says, I have nothing left for you. I can't have sons now. And even if I did have sons, they, they, they wouldn't live long enough to help you. Go back home. Do whatever you can to provide for yourselves. And Norpa does, but Ruth says, don't send me away. I'm going to follow you. I will be faithful to you. I'm going to take care of you. And so they go back to Bethlehem together. And Ruth starts working in the fields, and she starts working in the fields of a good man named Boaz. And Boaz begins to provide for her, tells his, his, his uh, laborers, hey, just throw a little extra out there for her. When you're, when you're harvesting, you know, just, just drop a little extra. So she brings home more and more food, and Naomi says, where are you getting this? And, he, and she says from this man, this farmer named Boaz. 
And Naomi knows. Boaz is, of, Boaz is of her tribe, the tribe of Judah. She says, follow him. You stay with him. You go to him. And Boaz redeems her and marries her. And gives her a son named Obed, who would have a son named Jesse, who would have a son named David, the king of Israel. And God says, you think you can use famine? You don't think I'm gracious enough and mighty enough to redeem your grief? And while David is king, Satan unleashes one last attack. The king is here. The, the, the nation is here. It's clear where this line is coming. It's clear where the chosen one will be born. He has to attack David, and he doesn't use anything external to attack David. He uses his own sin. He uses his own heart against him. And David is walking one day when he should have been out at battle. He's walking on the top of the castle. And in the cool of the day, he looks out and he sees a beautiful young lady. Now, there have been some who've tried to manipulate this text and in some way say this was Bathsheba's fault. And I just want you to know it's utterly ridiculous. If you know what bathing was like before uh, hot water heaters, you put them outside. You put the big wash tubs outside, didn't you, Glenn? And you, you let the sun heat the water up. That's how you heated it up. My mom used to tell me about taking baths on the porch all the time. You had to heat the water up in the sun. There was no other way to do it. She was a child. She was a teenager. David was an old king. There was absolutely no option for her to, to refuse David's commands. And he had her brought to him, and he took her, even though she was another man's wife even though he knew better. And he, he plotted and he schemed to kill her husband so that he could bring her into his house. And that child, God took him away. And Satan's going, I got you now. Even God's on my side. God's going to take care of the seed for me. And David repents. And Nathan comes to him and he says, you're going to have another child. And he he lays with Bathsheba again and she gets pregnant again and Nathan the prophet comes in and says God loves this child he will be the king King Solomon and from him will come the seed the chosen seed to redeem Israel the king who will reign forever and ever not even adultery not even murder not even the worst sins of David's heart could stop God from sending his chosen one, sending his son. And he does send his son year, hundreds of years later. And he sends his son through Mary. And Satan attacks him again and again with temptation, with hunger, with deprivation, with rejection, with poverty, with uh, betrayal and nothing causes this son to sin nothing can derail him from his chosen route to go and redeem Israel and then when he finally comes into Jerusalem Satan unleashes all of his power and he has him betrayed and arrested and beaten and murdered and through that very death through the very death that Satan sends him he redeems all of us he dies for us. That death that Satan used destroyed death when Jesus was raised from the dead. 
that death that Satan sent upon him was used by God to pay the price for our sins. That's why I had Caroline read this very strange call to worship. It was a strange call to worship, wasn't it? You know, used to people praying for evil people to be uh, caught in their own traps. But you see, that's the story of the Bible. Satan was caught in his own trap. He was destroyed by his own plans. And he opens the gates for us. Jesus opens those gates for us and welcomes us. That's the timeless battle. But the question for you, the question I have for you this morning is this. Do you still believe that God does that? Do you? Do you still believe that we have a God like that who redeems the very worst days of our lives? Does God still redeem barrenness? I uh, I have a former student who lives in Mississippi still. I've been following her on Facebook and Instagram for years and um, and she's single. She's never been married. But she has a child. And I, I got on the, uh, the Instagram to ask her, tell me the story. Tell me the story of Isaiah. I've, I've, I've watched him grow up through your pictures, but I don't really know the story. And she said, well, I was a, uh, I was a speech pathologist, as you know. And I was, going, uh, I was contracted by the state for early intervention. So I would go and, and help foster kids and kids with disabilities. And there was this one family that I knew well, and the mother in this family, her name was Karen, and she had uh, lots, lots of foster kids. She had to take care of her parents so she couldn't leave the house, and the way she provided for her parents and for her own household was through taking care of foster kids. And so she had several with disabilities that I would come and work with, and she had one who was perfect. He was, he was great. He was sweet. Uh, he was two years old. And I walked in, I saw this child, and I heard that his mother had, uh, the children, he had actually two siblings, and they had both been, all three had been taken away from the mother. She was unable to provide for them. And the grandma had taken the older two, but she couldn't take this third one. And so I took the third one, and, and I can't take care of him, she said to my friend. She said, she said this, this baby, she, he has no disabilities, and he's just not getting the attention that he needs would you adopt him? My friend was 33 years old, not married, no prospects, and she just laughed. She said, me? Are you kidding? I don't want to adopt him, but I'll babysit him for a weekend. I mean, you, you clearly need a break. She takes him home, and she falls in love with this boy, his two-year-old child, and she comes back on Monday, and she says, if you're serious, I'll do it. You know, 11 years ago, this little boy, he's just perfect, happy as he can be. Is God still redeeming barrenness? Yes, he absolutely is. I don't know what that means for you, but I know it means something. Maybe it's not adoption. Maybe it's Compassion International. Maybe it's fostering. Maybe it's waiting upon God to, to bring you a child the natural way. I don't know, but I know God is at work. Do you? Is God still redeeming abuse like he did with Tamar? Y'all remember John Lynch? He stood up here about three years ago at Christmas. Was in... Uh, it was in 2019 before everything fell apart. Remember that? And he preached a sermon. John Lynch, when he was in fifth grade, was uh, invited by an older friend, a seventh grader, uh, 
he was invited to come out and play at the train yards and the boxcars one day, and he was excited. He'd never been invited anywhere by the older kids before, and so he went. And the guy that were getting in and out of the boxcars, playing hide-and-seek, and they climbed up in one, and that older boy closed the door. And he said, listen to what I'm going to do to you. And listen, this is what you're going to do to me. And he abused John. And the shame of that event marked John for the next 20 years of his life until he heard the gospel. And he began to hear about who he was, a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. I am Christ in me. And he was, re- he was changed. And he, he began, instead of hiding it, talking about that day and talking about how God uh, was, was working in him and redeeming him despite that day. And, and he began to talk about it pretty broadly. It was even included in a movie called The Heart of Man where he gave his testimony. And uh, then the and, and that movie was seen by a lot of people. And he stood up on this stage, I don't know if you remember, he preached a sermon called My Best Day. And he said, your best day is when God looks at the worst day of your life and he shows you how he's going to use it for his glory. John was in a movie. Talked about that. Got up on the stage, preached that sermon in faith because it hadn't happened. I don't know if you remember, he kind of stumbled over it because it, it hadn't happened, but he said, I'm going to trust that it will happen one day. That movie got out. And John's kind of like me. He's introverted. He loves being on a stage. He hates being in crowds. And his wife told him, I haven't told you this because I knew you would try to find an excuse, but we're going to a party tonight. Really? Yes, and you're going to be nice. Okay. Goes to this party, tells this few stories. He's getting pretty clumsy. Somebody comes into the party later and then looks at him and begins staring at him. He sees the guy whispering, is that, who is that? It's John Lynch. Guy comes running up to him, grabs him by the collar, says, you're John Lynch. You were in that movie. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry I scared you, but you have no idea how important you are. What happened to you happened to me. It's haunted me my entire life. When I saw you in that movie, I realized that God was bigger than that. He's bigger than my abuse. He can redeem me. He can love me despite that. I want you to know because of your testimony, I finally realized I don't have to make another attempt on my life ever again. And John's worst day became his best day. Is your God big enough for that? Does he still do that? Is God still big enough to overwhelm nationwide persecution when people like Pharaoh try to destroy the entirety of the church? Is he big enough to overwhelm China trying to destroy Christianity, become a secular state altogether? Is he big enough to to overwhelm or to to fight against Idi Amin when he tries to make Uganda a, a purely Muslim state? Evidently, according to the Houston Chronicle, China is going to have more Christians in it than any other nation by 2030. God's still at work. Well, how about grief? How about death? God overwhelmed grief. He redeemed the death of Naomi's husband and his two children. How is he doing that today? Well, I can tell you he is. 
my brother, y'all, y'all tired of hearing about Tommy, I know, but he died in a car wreck in 2008. He's young, man. He had a whole life in front of him. And he was doing so well. He was in the church. He was teaching Sunday school. He was having a ministry throughout the community. Had a great wife who just loved him, and she was really the reason that got him into church, and, 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 and his life was transformed through that church. And as Tommy's life was transformed, I mean, he realized he couldn't be the guy he used to be. And it was my mom's greatest sadness, actually, that Tommy had to say goodbye to all his old friends. She didn't get it. There's one named George. George was Tommy's best friend from junior high. He just couldn't be around George anymore. My mom was so mad, she brought it up to me every time I came home. I just wish Tommy could still be friends with George. I don't understand why Tommy can't be friends with George. I said, Mom, sometimes you got to change who you hang out with. No, you don't. You don't leave your friends. Tommy was taken away from us on August 6th of 2008. I was ripped in half by it. Y'all remember? Some of you remember. When preached his funeral, preached, nobody's beyond hope. That was Tommy's last thing he ever said to me. Nobody's beyond hope. And I just said that over and over again through that funeral. George was at that funeral. He was torn up. I remember looking at him and saying, y'all realize how bad this is, don't you? And I burst out bawling tears, and he burst out crying, and we hugged each other. Another friend of Tommy's, Steve, Steve saw that, and he began spending time with George. About a year later, Steve baptized George. Would Tommy have died for George? Maybe. He would have rather not. Is God redeeming grief? Yes, absolutely he is. Is God still redeeming sin, adultery? Some of you have experienced that kind of betrayal this year. And you wonder, how could God possibly be in this? I married a Christian man. I married a Christian woman. I did everything right. How could he allow my home to be destroyed? How could he allow my dreams to be destroyed like that? I I had a friend that went through that. She had three children. Her youngest child was in diapers. Her second youngest child had mental uh, disabilities, developmental disabilities. She was poor. And her husband just left, just didn't come home anymore. She met a man who was willing to marry a woman with three children. And she gave him a son, her fourth child. And he's preaching to you right now. Is God still redeeming sin? Is he still overwhelming sin and using it for good? Well, I think so. I don't know what you think. But I'm glad I exist. Do you believe he can still do that? Honestly, I'm asking you, do you believe that God sees you and is still the God who is defeating Satan? and is still capturing Satan in his own traps and using the worst things that evil can throw at you for his glory and for your good. Please pray with me.
Father, you don't do things like we would do them. And you very seldom follow our plans, our fairy tales for our lives. But you do something so much better, so much richer, so much more beautiful, and so much more gracious. And we come to worship you. We worship you because you're the God who saved us through the death of your own son. You're the God who destroyed death by going into the grave, by sending your son into the grave. And we trust you with our worst days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.